Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. Um, but this week I want to start a series titled 4M Discipleship. And I'm not title, titling it 4M to be cute or any of those things. But I'm titling it 4M because I believe it's what the church has been called to do. We've been called to the process of discipleship. And that means being committed to follow Jesus while becoming like Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. This is what discipleship is. Amen? And so we have to, if we declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in our hearts, that God raised him from the dead, then we have a responsibility to that declaration. And that declaration is to make him Lord. And so we have to listen to what he says, regardless of whether it's convenient for us, um, regardless of whether we like it, uh, regardless of how it makes us look to our friends. Our responsibility is to place Jesus Christ as the primary focus of lordship over our life. And so I want to talk to you about what it is he tells us to do. If, if to declare lordship means we have to do what he says do, what did he tell us to do? And so I'm going to start this 4M discipleship series, and I'm calling it 4M for the purposes you can see up here, because I believe we've been called to make them, mark them, mature them, and ultimately multiply them. And I could prove this to you in Scripture, in the Scripture most of us are familiar with, and probably where a lot of you have already thought I'm going, from Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start in verse 18. This is the Great Commission as we understand it, but really it's the Great Commandment. It's what we're told to do. And so Jesus says this. I'm not going to do much in the way of an introduction today, uh, this, but, but I will start here. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, This is the last thing Jesus said before entering back into heaven, before ascending. This is what he said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So I want to stop there. Essentially what he's saying is I have authority over all things, and I'm giving you the authority in my name to accomplish what I'm about to tell you to do. There's no innate power in you, ability in you to do it. I am giving you my name so that you might be able to do it. And then he says what it is we're supposed to be doing. Because we have this authority, which is why it says go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So let me, let's talk about this for just a second. This 4M discipleship is exactly what he's saying. He is saying first, go, make disciples. And then he says, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is to mark them as believers. I'm going to talk about baptism next weekend, and then it's a declaration physically of that which I have declared spiritually. I am marking myself so that other people know who I am. 
It's our responsibility to mark those around us who have made a declaration so that others know who they are and so that we might hold them accountable to who they said they are. And so we make them, and then with baptism we mark them, and it says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, that is to mature them, and lo, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so until I come back, keep doing it, which by, by simple statement of continue doing it means we must multiply them. Our responsibility, the last thing Jesus told us before he went to heaven is this. Make them. Mark them. Mature them. And multiply them. And I'm talking about this because I don't think, I think we're falling short. And when I say I think I'm falling short, I mean we're falling short. The church has largely dismissed its personal and congregational responsibility to disciple making, to declare the name of Jesus. And it's time that we remedy that. I'm going to challenge you over the next four weeks to get out of your seat, move your feet, and tell somebody about the Jesus that's died so that you might have eternal life. I got one amen, one person's on board. Everybody else look at me like a cow staring at a new gate. I think. I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> and so I want to talk to you about this mandate, these four things, specifically the first one. I want to talk about what it means to make that. And I'm going to do that out of Colossians, like I said. Just two verses, because I think it beautifully illustrates our responsibility. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 read like this. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man, that is warning and teaching every man, with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And so I want to use these two verses and make a few points about what making them means and what making them looks like. Looks like. First and foremost, I'm going to tell you this. Making them means telling them a who, not a what. You know, what? I want to be very clear. I'm not concerned with your traditions. I'm not concerned with your personal opinions. I'm not concerned with the rules your mama told you regarding church. I am concerned with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And anywhere our opinions, our traditions, or anything come into conflict with the declaration of Christ Jesus as exampled in Scripture, we need to set it aside and put it away. We sit when we have this name over this church and this name over this church and this name over this church because we've determined our traditions in a lot of cases are more significant than our expectation. And our expectation is to make them, to make disciples. I hear people say, now, don't get me wrong, I, I hate this statement. I want relationship, not religion. That's wrong. That statement is wrong. It's cute. It makes a good bumper sticker, but it's wrong. And here's why. Religion is the adherence to fundamental doctrine of what you believe. You can't have a relationship with Jesus 
if you don't adhere fundamentally to the doctrine of Scripture. And so I can't say I want relationship, but I don't want religion, because religion, the adherence of fundamental doctrine, is the base by which we grow in our Christianity. What I am speaking against is religiosity, is your opinion, your traditions, your bronze serpents, if you will. It's time we smash those things. I told you at the beginning of the year that we're going to be this year a year of transition. We're going to be a church in transition. Spiritually, physically, we're moving from where we are to where we're going, which means sometimes you just got to leave some stuff where you found it. Because it ain't about our comfort, it's not about our expectations, it's about the Word of God. So we can't declare tradition. We have to declare not a what, but a who. And who are we declaring? Jesus. Because Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news to the lost. And the good news to the saved. Amen? Too often we're intimidated by this message. We get freaked out by the fact that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But let me tell you, Jesus is still the only way to heaven, whether you're intimidated by it or not. So tell the gospel, because the gospel saves people. The gospel pulls them out of who they were and into who God would have them be. According to Romans 1.16, it is the power of the gospel that saves. Not my ability to articulate, not whether or not I'm funny on the platform, Not whether or not I wear a sport coat or jeans or whatever. It doesn't matter what your tradition is. The gospel saves people. And so we can't be intimidated. We must stand upon it. Unshaken and unmoved. And so set it aside. Don't be intimidated. Know that God protects his gospel. And know also... That what you hear, when you're declaring the gospel, he will bring back to your remembrance. Many of us are intimidated because the gospel seems exclusive. The gospel is exclusive. Just so you know, it excludes those who don't declare the name of Jesus. But it's exclusive in its telling becomes inclusive. Because whosoever declares Jesus as Lord, believing in their heart, God raised him from the dead. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background. I I used to be addicted. It doesn't care. Jesus breaks the chains off of all of those things. And so we're not intimidated by the gospel. We're empowered by the gospel. Just declare the gospel. And I've said this, and I'm sure some of you have. (coughs) You say, man, if I... If I get up there and start telling somebody about Jesus, man, what if I mess it up? Let me make the the simplest way I know to tell you, don't worry about messing it up. Learn three verses. You guys have heard me say this before. I've, I've asked you to learn these three verses for the entire time we've been a church. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 10, 9. 
to declare out of your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in your heart, God raised him from the dead. If you memorize these three verses, you can't mess it up. If you memorize these verses, you have a promise. Listen to this. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus, before he ascended. So in fact, the Holy Spirit has already been sent on the day of Pentecost. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If I can commit myself to memorizing three verses, the Holy Spirit will bring those verses in any other supporting verses or whatever is necessary to ensure that the gospel message is not just delivered, but implanted. Because it's not by our strength, it's not by us, it's not by our character, charisma, or any of those things that people are saved. It is by the gospel that we are saved. I'm just trying to make you comfortable. As I ask you to be uncomfortable. <laughs> so what are we declaring? If we are declaring a who, we have to declare Jesus. Because Jesus is eternal life. Let me read a text to you from 1 John 1, 1 and 2. I love the way the first letter of John starts. Because he's not talking about some third party relationship he heard about from a friend. He's saying... What was from the beginning? What we have heard, they have heard it. What we have seen, they saw it. With our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life. The Word of Life, capitalized, that's Jesus. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word of Life is Jesus. So he's saying, listen, I've seen, I've touched, I've heard. Jesus and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was manifested in us he says we tell about Jesus I tell about Jesus all I can do is tell you about Jesus Paul says all I can do is tell you about Jesus all I have is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's all we've got. Amen? So if I, I can't just run up to somebody, though, in the middle of the street and say, Jesus, and then run off. They're going to be all crazy. <laughs> and they're going to run off. What is it you need to tell them about Jesus? You need to tell them the truth about the Savior who came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died so that you might have eternal life. You need to tell them about a Jesus that saved you from who you were. I've already quoted Romans 3.23 to you. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the depraved state of man. You're like, oh man, I'm getting intimidated already. I already can't breathe. It's the truth. Sometimes you just have to stand boldly and declare the truth. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. It's an enemy that multiplies his kisses. And so I say all have sinned, both by birth in the seed of Adam and by action in those things that you've done yourself. And those things deserve to be punished. Our sin deserves to be punished. We don't talk about sin like we should in the church. All we hear or what we hear 
mostly outside the church, sometimes inside the church, is why do we have to talk about sin so much? Because God thinks it's important that we talk about sin. It's divine, it's rebellion to a divine God who created you. It is the epitome of arrogance to say to sin, because in sinning you are saying, I know better than the one who created me what's best for me. And that deserves death. But Jesus didn't give us death. I'm declaring Jesus, not death. What did Jesus give me? Jesus gave me salvation. Jesus redeemed me. Romans 6, 2, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for that. Amen. He saved us by buying us back. By redeeming us. I said buying back first because I don't want to get tripped up on big spiritual words, but you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And what does that mean? That means you belong to him, but Jesus paid the debt of sin that you owed so that you might be removed from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God. Jesus paid that debt. You didn't pay that debt. You had that debt coming, but Jesus decided to take that debt on himself so that we might have the hope of eternal life. Can I tell you, Jesus bought us. Jesus didn't rent us. Several of us act as though we're on a lease agreement. I'm going to determine from day to day whether or not I'm going to renew this lease agreement. You don't belong to you. You are a slave to righteousness. Where you were once a slave to sin, you are now a slave to righteousness. Which means you declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Your opinions don't matter anymore. Because you've been saved by the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God. Not only did he redeem us, he justified us. He declared us innocent. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know you were at enmity with God? You were in conflict with God because of the sin that was in your life? That's why you needed to have peace. That's why Jesus needed to justify you. Because you were indicted according to the word of God. You stood guilty already but by the blood of jesus you were washed pure you were washed clean that sin no longer exists in you bible says that when we ask for forgiveness when we repent our sin is removed as far from us as the east is to the west that it is thrown into the sea that he places it behind us so you know what that means he can't see it he's forgotten about it and yet we still want to live in it and I'm not talking about the sins we've already asked. I'm not talking about the sins we just committed. I'm talking about the sins we've already asked forgiveness for. So many of us, we ask forgiveness, we receive forgiveness, God restores us back to righteousness according to his word, and then we go back the next day and we ask God, God, please forgive me because I feel condemned. And God's, God, God's got to be saying, what are you talking about, bro? I told you I'd remove that from you. I told you I'd put that in a sea of forgetfulness. How many of you guys, when you were, say, seven years old, did something horrible, got a spanking the next day, that day? Next day you went back and said, man, I'm not sure if I got enough spankings. <laughs> Dad, can you help me out? That's foolishness. We've been forgiven for that. Amen? 
He justified us. But let me tell you something. Jesus justified us from sin. He did not justify us to sin. It's time the church realizes that we've been called to righteousness, holiness, reverence, to be like Christ. To be a Christian is to walk as Christ walked. We want to give ourselves an excuse. Well, everybody falls. But do you at least try? I feel like we're using it as an excuse. Well, yeah, no, I did that again, but everybody falls. Man, I hope one day you don't fall and then die before you get a chance to repent. How about we ask Jesus, believing that He will, remove those binds, remove those chains from us, so that we can walk in the Christ-likeness and the holiness that He's called us to. He justified us from our sin. He didn't justify our sin. Somebody needs to start preaching in here. Doing pretty good. But it's about Jesus. And the things that He has done for us. And these are the things that He has done for us. He paid the debt. He bought us back. He declared us innocent. And because of Him, we are I am Christians. But the second word in this text is proclaim. It says we proclaim Him. You better be careful who you're proclaiming. I've said this to this church probably a hundred times. I'll probably say it a hundred times before I'm done. The biggest mistake that you can make in your life is tell somebody you're a Christian, not act like a Christian, because the second you tell them you're a Christian, they're going to start thinking you're a Christian. They're going to believe you. And then they're going to weigh the holiness of God against your unholiness and say, if that's the God that he serves, I don't need him. We have to proclaim the example we've been given, both in our action and in our words. One will negate the other. I don't, I don't agree with the statement, uh, preach the gospel and sometimes use words, or use words that are necessary. No, preach the gospel with words, and then example that through who you are. You used to be of the flesh. The flesh brings death. But now you are of the Spirit. And the Spirit brings what? Life. Did you know death has a stench? But life has a smell too? I'm asking, if you're declaring yourself, if you're proclaiming Christ Jesus, what stench are you putting off? This is a question we should ask ourselves every day. What do I smell like? And am I honoring the sacrifice that was made for me? The first thing we have to do if we're going to make them is declare Him. Talk about the, the one, Jesus, and what He's done on our behalf. Amen? Secondly, making them means telling them the truth. Trying to make, make you as aware of your upcoming uncomfortability as I can. So that you'll be prepared for it. 
This text continues. It says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. That admonishing means warned. People must be warned. We have to tell them judgment's real. The wrath of God is real. I'm going to get into that in a second. We have to be completely on board with that truth and proclaim it passionately, but not unlovingly. I want to talk about that first. I get up here, man, I get all sweaty, and I yell, and I do all this stuff, and I, I'm waving my hands because I talk with my hands. I've tried to talk without my hands. I just can't talk well without them. I do all of that out of love because I love you, because I so desperately desire for you and the people around me to know the God that I know. And some of you know the God that I know better than I do. I'm not saying I'm the most mature person in a room. But I can't tell anyone about Jesus unless my motivation's right. You know what you can't do? You can't hate someone into heaven. You can't argue someone into heaven. But you can hate and argue them into hell as they reject the message that you, not out of love, determined to heap upon them. This is the truth of the word according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we know is the, is the love chapter. Let me read this verse to you. 13.1 says this, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, means if, I have, if I'm the most eloquent person on earth, or in the heavens, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I become unnecessary background noise. And I'll be treated like unnecessary background noise. Is the world, we are in a place in today's society where the church is seen as unnecessary background noise. You know why? Because we don't love as loudly as we yell. We have to love as loudly as we yell. Man, I want people to know I want to take people by their lapel and shake their brain out of their skull. And if I thought holding you down to the ground and punching you in your head about 12 times would get you saved, all y'all would leave here punching the head 12 times today. You wouldn't be back tomorrow because I'd be in jail, but that's what I, if that was the only thing that it took, but it doesn't. It takes someone that cares enough to tell them the truth and demonstrate that care in real life. Galatians 6.1 continues proving this point. Let me, let me read this to you. Pages are kind of stuck together. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now he's, that first verse, that's everybody. The second verse, that's each other. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I'd say everybody in this room at some point or another this week has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, whether it be in your thought life because you spent too much time thinking about something you shouldn't have thought or you allowed your thought to turn into action. Some of, most, almost everybody in this room, I would say that'd be the case. And you know what? I could get on you, man. I'd be all, you're the worst. What is your malfunction? First, I'd be talking out of hypocrisy. But the Bible doesn't tell me to approach you that way. 
tells me to approach you with gentleness, not any less convictionally, but with gentleness. Because I'm as much flesh as you are. I'm as likely to fall into the sin that you are. And for me to become arrogant makes me that much more susceptible to the sin that you're in. We have to love them. We have to be gentle with them. But we can't not warn them. We have to tell them the truth that a wrath is coming for those who deny him. The wrath of God. Any of you guys ever been? You remember the most angry you've ever been in your whole life? I do. And man, I had wrath like I don't even know how to articulate. I told I told you guys before my 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 thing that I ask God to break over me all the time is my violent nature. I struggle with violence or the desire for violence. How about that? But you know what? I've never known perfect wrath. God is perfect wrath. They need to know that if they don't know who Jesus is, they're subject to whatever perfect wrath happens to look like. Which is an eternal separation from him, an eternity in hell, in torture, and in damnation, and a lake of fire, a legitimate lake of fire. Guys, that's not an analogy. That's not a euphemism for something. Hell's real. Jesus spent too much time talking about it for it not to be real. It's not temporary. It's forever. And God didn't send you there. You send yourself there when you deny the truth of the gospel message. It's literally, as I've said in here before, a prison locked from the inside. But we have to tell them because there is wrath. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Did you know it's in, our, it's in our nature? God created us to know that the God existed. But those who suppress that truth in, their, in themselves are subject to the wrath of God. And we innately know that God exists and refuse Him. And so we deserve the wrath that's due us. But we also need to warn them that a judgment is coming. There are two judgments. There's the white throne of judgment and the bema seat of judgment. That is the, the judgment of Christ, the seat of Christ, the, where we get our, our rewards. But both of these judgments are true. Ask yourself, which one of these do you want to sit under? The great white throne judgment has all people of all times Standing at the throne of God. Him opening the book of life and declaring this truth. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Man, I wish I could soften that up for you. If God gave me another prescription to declare the gospel, I'd use it. But he didn't. And so I'm obligated to this one. The great white throne of judgment is a real thing. And I've, 
I got people I love too much to keep my mouth shut. I'll tell you, I got people I don't know at all that causes me to not be able to keep my mouth shut. I believe for us to hold this truth, to know this truth and not declare it, proves we don't know this truth at all. Because if you've been forgiven much, you want what other people, you want other people to have that which you've been given, that which you have. I have grace extended to me, which means I'm not going to spend eternity in hell, but in the ever-present love of God the Father. Why wouldn't I tell other people? I think to tell other people would make me evil. Because I have determined, I have made a decision to not make that. We can do better, church, don't you think? If these are true, and I believe that they are because the Bible says they are true, then we have to tell them because of this final truth that exists. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's Acts 4.12. We have to be convictional in our making of them because there's only one way to heaven. I don't care what the news tells you. I don't care what culture tells you. I don't care what your mama told you. If they didn't tell you that Jesus Christ is the only name by which a man is saved, they have lied to you. And we have to declare this truth to whoever we can declare it to. The Bible says it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they sound like. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what addictions they may have had. It doesn't matter what sin they're currently dealing with. Our responsibility is to declare this truth to them. You're like, you can't prove that. I can prove that. In Acts, it says, Judea, Samaria, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is everyone. The gospel is exclusive for the sole intent of being inclusive to all men. Who are we to say no? I've tasted the goodness of God. Have you? And who are we to say no? Finally, the last point I would make is making them keeps the right goal. I'm sorry. Making them requires we be dependent. Verse 29 says this. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, capital H, which mightily works within me. Paul says, I strive and I labor. To labor means to work to the point of exhaustion for the calling of God on his life. Our responsibility is to work to the point of exhaustion. God never called any of us to lazy ministry. He called us to pour our life out because Christ poured his life out. And to call yourself a Christian, you must walk as Christ walked. You know, Pastor Jim, that's easy for you, man. You're a vocational minister. So are you. 
My vocation just happens to happen inside of this church and outside in this community. Your vocational ministry happens wherever your vocation is. But we have to strive. We have to be dependent, recognizing that it's not by our own power that we do this. Paul knew this in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, where he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Boy, I could just stop right there. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored, labored to the point of exhaustion, even more than all of them. Yet not I. It wasn't me, but the grace of God within me. Grace of God is the power to do what you've been called to do. We, we want to look at grace as this nimbly, bimbly thing that well, it's the unmerited favor of God where God gives me grace so I can be saved. That's true. It's not mimbly-bimbly. It's powerful. But it is for salvation. But it's to empower everything that you do. For everything is an unmerited favor of God. Your strength to strive, your strength to labor, your strength to pursue, your strength to work, your strength to do whatever you do is a grace given by God so that you can do it. And the last thing he told us to do was to make disciples. But can I tell you as much as I want to, I want to just pray it out. We can't make disciples if we're not disciples. I can't be dependent on Christ if I don't know Christ. I've declared the gospel to you. I'm not a largely eloquent man, but I think I am passionate. And I've told you that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God sent us a solution to that problem, and His name is Jesus. How do we acquire that promise? By declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. Meaning that we put ourselves aside, be answerable only to Him, and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead is to say that I have faith that he was resurrected and that because of my declaration, I shall be with him forever too. And so I'm going to ask you to make them, are you one? And if you aren't one, let the Spirit speak to you.